As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets with Tim McMaster, Zach Rosenblatt, and Marissa Dunn. Can't wait! The fallout is complete from the downward spiral that was the 2022 New York Jets season. Offensive coordinator Michael Flora is out. Offensive line coach John Benton is out. We're going to discuss the reasoning and where the team heads from here, here on the Can't Wait podcast. Tim McMaster here, along with Zach Rosenblatt and Marissa Dunn. Uh, obviously, there is plenty of news to cover, but... We also have Dane Brugler joining us. He actually joined us on Wednesday before a lot of this news, but we talked about Zach Wilson. We talked about the upcoming draft class. We talked about some of the other Jets rookies and how they perform versus what Dane was thinking. Great conversation with Dane. So that's going to be the second half of this episode. But first, we have to get to the changes. And Zach, it's funny, you texted, I thought we weren't going to have anything to talk about. Today. And then <laughs> I here we go. Us, yeah. So we have the news of LaFleur. We have Woody Johnson spoke today. Robert Sala spoke today, which wasn't expected either. So plenty, plenty to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah, as they say, never a dull moment uh, yeah. over here in Florham Park. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it was, and also I should add, you know, this isn't about me, even though I'm going to make it about me. <laughs> it, this, this stuff never happens at convenient times. It happened at the worst possible time for me. I literally just, I got into my car with my dog to drive up to New Jersey City for my parents in South Jersey. I'd been 30 minutes into the drive uh, when I get the text from a source that they were letting that, uh, you know, however they phrased it, that he found. I have that uh, phrasing. Yeah, I think it was uh, the Jets are allowing Mike LaFleur to pursue other opportunities. Yes. Right. Yes. Which is because an interesting they, way of firing. Somebody. The idea was that or the the explanation was that they. um He sent with the rumblings of him possibly leaving, they had gotten contact from some teams to see if his availability and so they decided to let him go is essentially how they're phrasing it you can parse that however you want but anyway this happened to me at an inconvenient time it was very annoying uh i had to like find somewhere to pull over my car and it, like took a little while to get to the exit and then the exit i took like there wasn't anywhere to pull over for a little while and i was like getting mad my dog was getting stressed out <laughs> and as so i had to pull over i had to like send a blurb uh for our news post <laughs> And and eventually and as I and then as I finish the drive, I'm like, you know, probably looking at my phone too much, but just like trying to dig in and find more as I'm driving with my dog and my, you know, I have groceries in the car with me and my and all my clothes and stuff. Was, I was very stressed and annoyed last night, not because of 
what happened, but because of how I was, I find out. But um, I survived, and 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 today we are here, and now we're now we're gonna have some conversations in the coming weeks or however long this search takes. I'm sure it won't be right away. I think they're gonna be pretty thorough, so we're gonna have a lot to talk about now uh, for a little bit at least, like in terms of who they look at. We're gonna get into all that now, but yeah. So something, uh, you know, like I said, I, I when we planned when we planned out this pod we we knew we had dane we did the dane combo at that point we weren't sure yet we figured maybe they would say if he was back or not if he was back then there probably would have been a little less to talk about honestly uh and so i'm like all right well we only have, we're since we have that conversation with dane we're only gonna have to talk for like 20 minutes 30 minutes that's we can do that can <laughs> and do now that. now i'm worried about it so. <laughs> <laughs> do we do we have enough time um so I had I just started a three hour drive when the news broke, but luckily I don't have to respond to, <laughs> to blurbs to our news team or any of that. So I just like caught up later. But yeah. um, as far as the you know big picture of this firing, one thing I wanted to bring up was when Robert Sala was hired, um, a big part of the hire, right? A big thing that the Jets sold was, all right, we're hiring Robert Sala and he's bringing with him this whiz kid, right? This yeah. offensive whiz kid, kid Mike LaFleur, uh, brothers with Matt LaFleur. He's going to come in here and he's going to like just run this explosive offense. It's going to be just like what the Niners do and it's going to be amazing. Um, and now after two years, obviously that doesn't happen and Mike LaFleur is gone. I feel like to some degree, it kind of takes some of the shine off of the Sala hiring because like half the pitch is kind of gone in a sense, right? Yeah, I, I, and I think that's kind of what he's going to run into when he's trying to find a replacement is he has to confront the fact that no matter how good you want to talk about the defense is, and they're very good and they turned it around and he deserves credit for you know putting out a lot of fires this season. I think he's been pretty adept at handling a lot of the things that have been thrown at him. But the offense got worse. It did not get better. Um, they, I think they were almost stubborn in the way that they stuck with the scheme no matter what. It clearly didn't work with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's a big part of that. Um and I, I just I just think ultimately, if you go scoreless in the last three games and you have a top five defense as they keep uh, advertising and you, and you don't score enough points to win games with a top five defense, then somebody's going to pay. I, I imagine there was some pressure. I can't say for certain, but I, I imagine there at least was some pressure to make some changes uh, from Sala. Um, everybody insisted that it was, it was his decision, both, you know, publicly and privately. That they've been insisting that, you know, this ultimately was Robert's decision. But I know there was frustration from the top especially because, you know, this is 12 years they haven't made the playoffs, and this felt if they were ever going to make it, uh, it was going to be this season. <laughs> I mean, they started 5-2, and 6-3, 7-4, uh, and four, whatever, and, and then they ended 7-10. and 10. So um, the, they had it, and they keep talking about how great the core is, and the fact that they keep saying how great the core is means that they believe something was wrong. And so they're going forward, and, uh, you know, as you said, they, they the idea was they're, you know, they were trying to, you know, basically do Shanahan East here with with the defense and the offense. And now they're, you know, starting from scratch almost. I think Salah, he indicated this today. I asked him about it, and I've heard the same. Uh, they're not limiting their, which I, I I thought they would. They're not limiting their options to people from the Shanahan tree, people from the West Coast offense necessarily. I think it's more philosophical is what he said, what he's looking at. And we can get into, like, some things I've heard and all that stuff. But um, I, I thought that's an interesting part about all this, that he's, he's going, like, I, I, th I think they were pretty committed to, to doing the scheme because they believe in it. Uh, but now it maybe it depends on both who the offensive coordinator is and who the quarterback is because it's hard to plan an offense if you don't know who's playing quarterback as well. And that's going to be a challenge they combat when they are going to interview these guys and trying to convince them to come here or or whatever, however it works. There, are, 
Solid did make a point to like say all the things that are appealing about the job, and it's hard to argue with some of them. He said, you know, yeah. the top five defense, the all the weapon, the young weapons they have on offense, listed all of them out. Um, although the, he didn't list Barrios, I'll say he was that was like the one player he listed like everybody but Barrios, <laughs> which I'm sure fans are fine with. <laughs> um, they have the weapons. Uh, he said they're gonna, you know, they're gonna invest in the offensive line and they're going to invest in getting improvements at quarterback and Woody kind of echoed that. And so those things are all true, but you also don't have the quarterback. You have to deal with Zach Wilson and developing him in theory. At least that's what they're talking about. You don't have an offensive line that you like can feel entirely comfortable with. And you have a staff that if they don't make the playoffs might not be here a year from now. So he's going to be combating that uh, when he goes there. I think they, they really do believe this team can be like legit next year if they get a quarterback. So he's going to be doing a lot of, you know, I think they're going to aim high. I don't know if they're going to get the guys they aim high for. So I, I, my prediction is going to be that whoever they do wind up with, the fans are not going to be entirely happy with. And I think, you know, that they're kind of getting, you know, I don't know how, the right phrase here, taste of their own medicine or whatever. Like everybody wanted to fire the floor. And what I had said and what Connor said when he was on here too, uh, who are you replacing him with? And so if they replace him with, again, we'll get into some names, um, there are certain ones that I think are not going to, you know, excite the fan base. And that's, that's just where they're at. This is what they have to deal with. Yeah. And I mean, I do think if you're a confident offensive coach, right. And you look at this roster and you know that, or if you, and you believe that the team is committed to getting the right quarterback, um, a, if you're a big enough name, maybe you have some draw on that quarterback, right? Like, and you're True, saying yeah. they probably don't get that big enough name that you could like actually impact the recruitment of the quarterback. Um, but there, the talent is there. So I feel like the one year factor maybe isn't, I mean, it's a, it's a thing. Obviously, I think, I think it like, depends on who it is. If you do your job, yeah. this team's going to be good. I feel like yes. an there's risk. Game. There's risk involved with taking right. any job, I guess, but right. So, so that, I mean, it, it, that is a good point, honestly, because again, you look at this and they have the pieces to be good. Uh, so you have to come here believing that they're going to get the right guys in here. Like in theory, they, you know, Derek Carr thing is going to be resolved maybe a little bit quicker than the other quarterbacks because, uh, the Super Bowl deadline or whatever it is because of his, uh, contract getting guaranteed. If, if he's the guy, then maybe you can, you know, turn this around, feel more comfortable. I don't know. Maybe they wait that long to hire one. I, I don't really know how long they're going to take. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, it, it's a fair point. I mean, this is. That's the thing. I feel like this is an appealing job in the sense that this team is ready to make the playoffs. It's not like a rebuilding team where they're going into it and they're, and nobody's really sure what they're trying to do. If, if they're rebuilding, if they're starting from scratch, like you, you see that a lot. Um, you know, I always, I always go back to what, what happened with the Eagles uh, just because I was there for it uh, in 2019 when they fired grow and they brought in all these veteran coaches. And I think they still had them had their eyes on like making the playoffs, but it was clear they were aging and, they're kind of aging out of being like the contender that they were in 2020, uh, 2017 and all that stuff. I, I think the jets are in the, they're going the, they're going, they're on their way up in theory, like everything that happened this year, even with the way it ended, they're going to bring back the majority of their important players. They have a good core of young guys. Like there, there is appeal here for sure. So um, it, it's going to be a very interesting offensive coordinator search. And I think uh, some of it's going to have to do with, you know, these head, a lot of head coaching jobs are open. Uh, and so whether it's a guy that doesn't get a head coaching job or these guys that do get the head coaching jobs, are they going to pull away candidates from the jets? Like, so I do wonder how quickly they try and get this done. I think they're going to be very thorough. So I don't think it'll be that quick, but there's a lot of factors at play here and, it, and it's going to be very interesting to see where it lands. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. I know you've been digging into the search already. So at this point, you know, what are you hearing about? You have a story up on The Athletic, I'll say this, where you list 16 candidates, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a deep list, um, all sorts of different names in that list of 16. Obviously, uh, maybe that's maybe the Jets have 25 names. Who knows? Um, but from what you're hearing, who are like who's number one on the Jets list if if they could have anyone? So I just from conversations like this, I haven't like seen the list or anything like that, but I, <laughs> right. I, I, I get the impression that they do want to at least take a shot at Frank Reich. I, I don't know that they believe that they even have a chance of getting him. He's interviewing for head coaching jobs. Um, I mean, and, obviously he would have to strike out on all of those. <laughs> yes. You'd have to, you on almost, top of like, you have to wait longer for Frank Reich because of that. Yes. And also yeah. they have to like, you know, appeal to him more than say like the Eagles who might be looking for an offensive coordinator if, if theirs leaves. Like there's going to be other offensive coordinator jobs that, you know, in theory might be more appealing. Um, so I, I I think, again, they're touching all their bases, I think is a big part of that. I don't know if they believe they're going to bring Frank Reich in or if they 100% want to. Um, the other main thing that I've heard is that I would look out for candidates who have experience coaching the offensive line. As you mentioned, they fired John Benton. Um, I, I think there there has been some some talk about some teams really going in that direction where the offensive line minded coach is kind of running the show. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't get, I don't have any like names in particular. I do not offensive line. I think Daryl Bevel is a real candidate. Uh, they have a long list. I'll say that. I know that much. And I think Bevel is on, he has ties to Robert Sala uh, from Seattle. He's on the Mike McDaniel coaching staff right now as the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator. So he, he's learning a new, like the Sala scheme in a way, or the LaFleur Shanahan scheme. So, and he brings a little bit, like he was with Pete Carroll. He's with, uh, I mean, he's with Urban Meyer. I don't know how much he would have factored that in, but, um, so he's like, he's, I think he's the name that in particular, I think that make checks a lot of the boxes and makes the most sense that fans would not be very excited about if he was the OC, but he's a veteran play caller that has done it. But the offensive line thing, I, I haven't been given any names, but just like, you know, thinking and, and digging, like looking at coaching staffs, I think Bill Callahan is someone, uh, who would make sense in that regard. And I think the, I think he's on the Dolphins staff. Chris Forrester is an offensive line slash like running game coordinator, I believe for the Dolphins. So I think guys like that are, I think they're going to look around those. They're going to look around the veterans, the big names. Uh, ultimately, like I said, you're more likely to end up with a Daryl Bevel than a Frank Reich, though. Uh, just to go through a couple other or a few other names, um, one that you have on your list in that story, and that's also popping up a lot here in the chat right now. So I'll go to that. Is uh, is Greg Olson, who has a lot of experience. Um, he's been an OC in a lot of different places, and he's another guy with some West Coast roots. Yeah, and another thing to keep in mind, and I, I'm not 100% sure if they're sticking with this plan or not, but 
I imagine they probably will, is that they wanted to bring a veteran coach in to assist with the offensive coordinator. So whether, you know, let's say they hire a bevel, like I could still see them like Greg Olson is only like an analyst on the Ram staff right now. So whether he's offensive coordinator, or they bring him in as a QB coach or, or uh senior assistant or something like that. I think also makes a lot of sense, especially if they're interested in Derek Carr. I think as a lot of people have pointed out, he gave Derek his best seasons were with Derek, Derek Carr and Olson together, I think had like a great uh, relationship. So that would be an interesting one. Um, you know, I, there's a couple of bigger names out on the list that I'm not as confident w- are like being seriously considered, but like, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be working anytime soon. He's going to be getting paid through like 2027. So can you he, see him too going back to college? I mean, yeah, maybe not with, maybe not right away, but like yeah, I'm interested to see where, what happens with him. Um, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, he did work with Sala in Jacksonville. Um, I think that might have been the only head i mean gary kubiak it sounds like it's probably not going to come out of retirement uh i don't know if they've tried talking to him but uh, i think that's the impression i get but um you know the, the washington washington just fired scott turner he's a son of north turner he has experience calling plays and it's hard to call plays for carson wentz which i think is probably part of the issue we had in washington um there are options out there I, again i don't know if all of them are as enticing as fans were hoping everybody wants frank reich including maybe the jets but i I don't see that happening and I don't think they do either. So you have to kind of set your expectations a little lower and hope that they fill out this, you know, they need to replace miles Austin as well. They're letting him go. He was suspended for gambling and all that. So they need to replace the offensive line coach, wide receivers, coach, offensive coordinator. Maybe you add a senior offensive assistant, maybe the offensive coordinator comes in and he's like, I don't want Rob Calabri. He's a QB coach anymore. So it's going to be a new look staff and it's, it's kind of, it's going to be, you know, this might dictate what happens this season. That com- combined with the offensive line, combined with who, what they do at quarterback, is going to go a long way toward everybody finding out what this team's going to look like next year. As far as like fans not being excited about the hire, if it is somebody that's like less of a name, I will say this: like I think two years ago, people were very excited about Michael Lafleur, right? Because of what I said at the top, like he was supposed to be this rising star. Yeah. I mean. You said it in your story and we talked about it in November. He was on one of yeah. NFL.com stories as future head coaching, you know, candidates. And and maybe he will be, who knows? Like he's going to obviously have no trouble getting some kind of job from here and to try to kind of put the pieces back together. But like that was an exciting young offense coordinator hire and it didn't work. So maybe like you get somebody that people aren't excited about now, but maybe it does work. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's see what happens is, is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I I do wonder if they look at like if they're committed to getting a veteran play caller. Like, do do you want to go back to a rookie one? Like, there's some, I, Brian Johnson from the the Eagles was mentioned, QB coach, doesn't have any play calling experience in the NFL. Uh, there's there's a bunch of options. Like, they could go to the college level in theory, but I I think based on what went wrong last year, like I don't know if you want to take the risk. Of, uh, you don't want another person learning on the job kind of thing. So. I don't see that happening. Like somebody that's never called plays before. I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I'd be a little surprised if they hired somebody who has just never done that. So um, these are all things to keep in mind. You know, it's a, it's a fluid process. Things are going to change. Maybe other people will come available that nobody expects or, or something. Um, but you know, they, they have to combat the fact, like I said, that this, this staff is going to be, whether Woody wants to say there's a playoff mandate or not, they're going to be playing, they're going to be coaching and general managing for their jobs this year. So. One more thing on the on the search, um, assuming that they're going to bring in some sort of veteran quarterback, uh, how important is it? Because Zach Wilson's still going to be on the team more than likely. How important is it that the new coordinator has some experience or some evidence 
that they've actually developed a quarterback in their career? Or is that a secondary hire with the offensive coordinator? It's a, it's a good question. I, I I do wonder how much they're factoring in Zach Wilson to the equation. I, if they really are committed to getting an upgraded quarterback, I don't know if he's like that much of a factor. I do think they hope to salvage him because, you know, they drafted him so high. But I don't know if that's like a sticking point in the conference. Like I said, like these offensive line coaches that I don't know that they necessarily have groomed quarterbacks. So in theory, they could bring in a quarterback coach with them or something. But right. I don't know that that's I think we're going to be able to tell how they feel based on who they hire. If they hire somebody with a quarterback background, then I think you can say, OK, I think Zach was a factor here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So Woody spoke today as well. I want to touch on that a little bit. Um, you mentioned that he said there's no playoff mandate. He said playoff mandates don't work. I think there is a way to have a playoff mandate without actually saying there's a playoff mandate. So whatever, but we'll leave that off to the side. Um, he said he was willing to spend for a quarterback. He said that he failed Zach too, but I thought one of the interesting things that you had and you put out there, uh, Zach was that, um, I guess his perspective of what the fans think at this point seems a little off. Uh, like, I don't know, but he's a guy that's on Twitter a lot, so I don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah. So I asked him, I think this is a question that owners get a lot, at least in my experience, I covered the Giants after you've been losing for a while is, you know, what do you say to the fans who are tired of waiting or tired of hearing that we're close and, and all that stuff? And, and he said, well, I don't think they are tired of are, are tired of it. Um, I, you know, I he said he walks through the parking lot before games and he senses a lot of optimism. And I think he, he did follow that up, like saying that he, he knows that let me pull it up um, here. It is. He said, they've been optimistic. I want to give them what they want. They want wins. They deserve wins. And I'll try to get them wins. I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen for them. No stone unturned. I think that part of the quote is a little better where he's saying, yep. we're going to do everything we can to get those wins. That I, I don't know that fans are not tired of hearing how close they are. It's, but they have the longest playoff drought in, in football. And let me tell you, Jets fans are an angry bunch. I, I just joined this beat. And I, can, I can tell you that. They're, they're I angry mean, the first thing I tired thought, of waiting. The first thing I thought when I saw that, out there was like, which parking lot is he walk, walking through? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a great question. Um, I yeah, I, I've gotten in trouble for making jokes about there not being traffic at MetLife before, so I won't. Yes, say yeah, anything, but, <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I you know he didn't say anything like bad. I would say I think he said mostly the right things. Uh, you know he he stated his commitment to Robert and and Joe, and he insists that he's not interfering. And it's all their decisions, and you can believe that if you want. Um, but ultimately if we're, you know, if it's this time next year and they haven't made the playoffs again, I imagine the next time that time he talks to us, it's, it's going to be with a new coach or new general manager. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll just say this before we, we shift feeds a little bit and go to Dane, anything else to add on Michael floor and, and what went down today? Yeah. You know, I, I, I will say I, I, I don't. I don't know for sh for sure that and I, I know everybody's assuming that Salah's hand was forced with uh, with Lafour getting fired. I I don't think it necessarily was a hundred percent Woody. I, I I I I'm sure there was like some sense of dread from Salah that you know if if at any moment if the offense kept being poor would he you know say you have to fire him now kind of thing or would he you know you know get mad in other areas or whatever it is. Uh, so ultimately, I think Salah had made the best decision he had to. Uh, to go forward. And I think he handled it in a way that, you know, makes it look like LaFleur is, has a lot of interest, whether he does or not. I think maybe he does. I think he's, you know, he has, he has the name brand and comes from the Shanahan tree and all that stuff. 
I think he'll land on his feet. So I, I think Salah tried to frame this in a way that helped the floor while also acknowledging that they needed to make some changes. And so I, I think that's something just to keep in mind. Yeah, I think they let him down pretty, pretty softly, so yeah. to speak. Um, definitely. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break and then Dane Brugler is going to come on and he covered a lot with us. Great conversation. Uh, he talked about Zach Wilson and what he thought about Zach two years ago versus now. He talked about the great rookie class this year for the Jets and and how they've kind of stood up to what he expected. And then talks about this year's draft and where the Jets are picking who could be there. So great conversation. Stay with us after this break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we are excited now to welcome in Dane Brugler, draft expert at The Athletic, of course, the author of The Great, The Beast, which will be coming out before the draft uh, this spring, and uh, host of Prospects to Pros, the podcast on The Athletic Podcast Network as well, along with Andy Staples and Lance Zerline. Dane, it is way later than we usually talk to you, which I guess is a tip of the cap to the Jets in <laughs> some way, although I think the fan base right now isn't very thrilled about how things finished, um, the fact that they got off to a good start and were in playoff contention meant that we weren't thinking about the draft on this podcast really until now. So I guess in some ways I apologize that we couldn't get to you <laughs> sooner, but the Jets actually played meaningful games in December. Yeah, and, and you know, I, usually I'm used to talking to you guys before Halloween, so this is <laughs> yeah. a change up. Uh, you know, it's January, um, you know, it's, it's the off season, so... But that's great for Jets fans. You know, I think it's uh, this is an organization that uh, has been very draft focused for uh, a lot of years now. And OK, trying to get over that hump and we feel like they're close, uh, but still some areas where uh, they need to get better and where the draft could come into play and, and help them take that next step, hopefully. One area where the draft probably won't help them, but they do need to get better is obviously quarterback. Um, so I just wanted to start there with Zach Wilson. Um, you know, obviously he was the number two pick and I think I, I didn't go back and check, but I think you were pretty high on him coming out yeah. of BYU. So when you see what he, what has happened to him at the pro level, um, how surprised have you been at his lack of development? Yeah, no, thanks for ruining my credibility. Right, <laughs> right up the top. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, uh, in my defense, I think uh, you are not uh, alone. No, yeah. In dozens and dozens uh, of teams would have drafted Zach Wilson at number two. So this is not like yeah. a, a Jets thing or let's beat up on the Jets for taking him. He was uh, it wasn't universal, but it was close to universal that Je Zach Wilson was the number two guy in that draft behind Trevor Lawrence. Um, it's, I, he's the latest example of how it's just difficult to evaluate the quarterback position because 
you know, a major factor in the college to NFL transition is just being able to catch up to the speed of the game. And that's not really something uh, that you can quantify through any metric or just watching them on tape. It's just not that easy. Um, you know, when you watch them at watch them at BYU, you saw a quick minded player. You watch them in the NFL, you don't see a quick minded player. And so it's just a matter of catching up to that NFL speed. Um, and you go back to his college uh, college days that, that last year, uh, 20, uh, 21, you saw, or 2020, you saw a guy that had a feel for placement. You saw a guy that was very comfortable throwing off platform. Uh, the competition was underwhelming that year for BYU. That was the COVID year. Uh, but there were plenty of examples where he was pressure and he had to create. He had to do something uh, off structure that wasn't the design of the play. So you saw creativity. You, see, you saw a guy that he broke Steve Young's completion percentage record at BYU that year. Uh, he had 42, 43 total touchdowns. So uh, there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic based off of what he did in college. It's just he has not made the adjustments needed uh, for the speed of the NFL game. And everything is moving way too fast for him. And the most concerning thing for me is just the lack of progress in year two. So, you know, it's just it's it's a tough thing. And so what, where do the Jets go from here? Is it a matter of it's just going to take time? Is it a matter of, uh, you know, you need to get some uh, maybe new voices in that that quarterback room? I don't know what the answer is. I, I think that. Obviously, you know, Coach Sala and the Jets, they, they're with him every day. So they have a better idea of maybe some of the issues and how to address them this offseason. But um, I'm fascinated to find out, uh, you know, just what their confidence level is, even though they'll never really be transparent about that. But what their realistic confidence level is for Zach Wilson moving forward. And Dane, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and not even just about Zach, but like when – when you're like high on a guy coming out of uh, college and then they it becomes a disaster like this. I mean, Zach's a little bit of a unique one, obviously, just because of the way it's played out. But like, I'm curious, like, do you go back and like look at like, All right, what, what did I miss here kind of thing? Like, obviously, you're not going to get every single guy right. So I'm, I'm just curious, like how your process works with like that kind of stuff once they get to the league. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that the best evaluators are the self-evaluators. Um, people that, you know, you go back and understand, OK, what did I miss? Um, sometimes it's as simple as. Uh, focusing too much on a player's tape earlier in the year when they were dinged up or, uh, you know, maybe you missed something. I mean, there's, there's always something that you can gain from going back and yeah. Uh, learning. And, and yeah, and Wilson's a tough one. And honestly, I, I don't, I believe in waiting at least three years, uh, giving a player a chance to grow as a pro, um, climb out of that hole maybe they created for themselves uh, in, in the first year, second year. So for Zach and his class, I won't go back and, you know, kind of look at their college tape until probably for another year. Yeah. Uh, just to, you know, give them a, give, you know, not only Zach, but the rest of the players uh, in his draft class, a, a realistic chance to, um, you know, show progress and get better. So, but yeah, self-evaluation is definitely a big part of this. What do you think about this QB class now as, as we sit here at the end of the second year? Cause I feel like it's, it's been like very up and down in a, in a very wild way. I feel like. Yeah, and I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, he was anointed as the yeah. the clear cut guy, franchise guy. Um, I, I think he was the universal number one pick that year, and you know, the Jaguars uh, are in the playoffs in, in his second year, and that so yeah. that's, that's progress. Um, and I, I think that he was uh, kind of hamstringed a little bit last year with the the coaching situation, and then this year with an offensive minded head coach and some talent around him we've, we've seen positive things and, you know, he's far from a perfect player. I think he's still a young player working through things. 
Um, but that's been great to see. Justin Fields, you know, he fell a little bit more than, and you know, we talked about this throughout that uh, that draft uh, process that year. How listen, Justin Fields is not as well liked uh, in the NFL as he is yeah. on Twitter. And we talked about that, you know, ad nauseum, just because I, teams, I think a lot of fans thought, oh, he's the easy number two pick. It wasn't that, that's not how NFL teams viewed him. And now, you know, to Justin Fields' credit, I think he's, you know, maybe kind of saying, hey, I should have been that number two quarterback yeah. drafted. But, you know, he still has a long way to go too. I mean, Justin Fields, what he's doing with his legs has been awesome. But if you isolate just his his passing, passing yeah. tape, and, and there's a lot of, areas where he needs to get better he, he has some really impressive throws yep. but the body of work is just not there yet and so but I think he's shown enough progress that it totally understand you being uh, optimistic about where he's going to be a year from now two years from now um, and then unfortunately for Trey Lance we have not been able to see him uh, you know be able to do anything because of sitting his first year and then the injury in, in his yep. second year and so it's you just you hope that he gets healthy is able to be out there because he is there's so much to like there with his talent um, and then Mac Jones, I think Mac Jones can be a functional NFL quarterback. He can be good enough to help you reach the playoffs, compete for the playoffs. I mean, the Patriots were at this year. So uh, Mac Jones, I think, is, has kind of been what we thought he would be um, up to this point. So, yeah, overall, it was, you know, we had never seen four quarterbacks uh, or five quarterbacks go to the top 15 like they did that year. And it never happened before. And so a lot of hype around that quarterback class. And so far, definitely a lot of mixed results, like you said. Well, and looking back at that draft, it is crazy when you just look look at the top fifteen, the non quarterbacks. It's, it's like loaded. it's got got to be one of the best of all time. Like, I mean, it's yeah. early, but um, yeah, that always blows. Especially the the Jets don't feel great about that now, especially that they, they look at that and Micah Parsons and all those yeah. guys in there. But um, you know, on the, the flip side is Zach obviously is this Jets twenty twenty two draft, which was pretty spectacular in their first year. Um, I know you obviously were high on sauce, uh, but like, could you, could you have imagined him? I mean, there, there are people who think he had like the best season of any cornerback in the league this year. Like, like a, what was, what was your expectation for him coming in? And like, has he, has his like success surprised you on the flip side? Yeah. It, sauce was a little bit of a, a slow burn for me uh, throughout you know, last year, uh, his last year at Cincinnati. And really it's just because nobody threw at him. And yeah. so you, you watch the Cincinnati tape and he's clearly good. But how good? You know, is he top five good, top 10 good, top 20 good? Um, and so, but at a certain point, you just have to look at it and say, look, this is a guy, he's 6'3", 33 and a half inch arms, runs in the low four fours, has ball skills, didn't allow a touchdown as a three-year <laughs> starter, uh, didn't give up a, a catch of over 20 yards last year um, as a junior. So this guy just had the traits, he had the tape, he had the uh, you know, had a lot of the production and at least three interceptions each of his three years with the Bearcats. Uh, and he's dripping with confidence, which yeah. you need at the position, the, the mental toughness. Um, and so obviously there, there's a big jump going from covering AAC receivers compared to NFL receivers. And so th that's where there was a little bit of a, okay, maybe there'd be a learning curve for him. Maybe, you know, there could be some tough moments. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the, the traits, the talent, the confidence, it's it's not a surprise to see him have this type of success. You knew he had it in him. Um, and now it's a little surprising maybe as a rookie just because yeah. corner is just such a tough position to play when you're going up against some of the monsters we have in the NFL at receiver. But he has all the traits to be the best cornerback in the NFL um, in the, the very near future. He he has it. And so uh, and what he did as a rookie, man, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it 
I think the Jets were even surprised by what he could do. Um, then with with Garrett Wilson, so when when I when I watched him in training camp, you know he, I I my prediction for him was that it was gonna like take him some time to get into the swing of the NFL, uh, because you could see like the athleticism and uh like you know the, the the all the ability he had, but he was also dropping a lot of passes. I think the route running was still developing. So what 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 I saw in training camp, it was not the same as what I thought was gonna happen in the season. I'm curious what you thought the trajectory was for Garrett when you were scouting him because he's he's also someone who I think has been way better than. I expect at least this quickly. I thought he was going to be this good at some point. I, I didn't mm-hmm. think it would happen this fast with him. Uh, yeah. He's another guy that I thought, you know, clearly has the talent. So it's just one of those guys that once the game starts, just go let him have fun and go see what happens. And so I, I'm not completely shocked that he's, that he did this as, as a rookie uh, with some up and down quarterback play. So yeah. uh, to me, I mean, it's mostly it, down. It, yeah right exactly (laughs) and he was the best wide receiver in this draft class i I, it was clear that i thought that was clear Mm. uh and so it's refreshing to see him uh play like the best rookie uh wide receiver this year the number one thing watching him at ohio state he made the playbook come alive at at all Mm. three levels no matter what you asked him to do he made it come alive and so um just about everything about his game you loved except for uh ordinary size he's under six foot He's under 185 pounds, but when you watch him, he plays so much bigger than that because he's long, he's got body control, the ball skills are outstanding. Uh, and I remember talking to uh, Garrett at the Combine, um, sitting down with him, and we talked a lot about his basketball background. He was a legit Division One basketball recruit in high school, and I think all that basketball training really helped develop his route athleticism and uh, the ability to make guys miss and just be just be uh, an athlete out there. So you factor in uh, all the Ohio State coaches told me how the moment he showed up as a freshman, he acted like a senior. So you've got a guy that's a pro, he's mature, he's got the talent, and he's got the mentality to be a true number one receiver. And so I think he's on that trajectory. And um, he showed it pretty quickly. He's a guy that if he just you passed him walking down the street, you wouldn't think, oh, that's a number one NFL receiver. <laughs> you know, that's just not, you know, he doesn't give up that vibe when you just just talking to him. But when you watch him on tape, you watch him play between the lines, I, I think you definitely see it. One one thing that fascinated this has kind of been the Jets in general because they're so young, but uh you mentioned like the thing about the coaches saying about how he just carried himself like that. Mm-hmm. He, he, be, he quickly became like a for us as media, usually you go to like a veteran guy when things are tough. Garrett Wilson's like was like the number one go-to guy for us when things because he was like honest he like he would like vent his frustrations with us he was very well spoken and well thought and um sauce too like I've never covered rookies like like those two guys before so I'm sure honestly that's a part of the valuation when they talk to these guys and they see like how they think and and stuff like that right well and it's funny that you say that because I I noticed that you know following you on Twitter and like after games I'd always see a quote from, from Garrett Wilson and, you know, whether it was about the quarterbacks or, yeah. you know, whatever, like it, it, that surprised me a little bit because he is a rookie and usually, yeah. you know, you're getting, uh, you, you know, rookies are maybe a little reluctant to talk. A lot of times yeah. teams are reluctant for their rookies to talk. Uh, but he was a guy that always, I, I thought shot it straight and yeah. gave you a realistic view from um, a guy that hasn't been playing professional football. Yeah. Uh, for very long. So that was great to see. And I, I think that does, uh, it's something that matters in the evaluation process for, um, uh, you know, Joe Douglas and the front office and what they're looking for. Intangibles matter. And uh, you, you look at Sauce, you look at Garrett Wilson, you look at uh, Jermaine Johnson, you look at Brees Hall, you look at, you know, a lot of the guys that they've invested in. 
um, especially this past draft class, intangibles, guys that are culture guys, guys good for the locker room. Um, you know, I, I think that was definitely a, a priority as they try to build build up this roster. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think they probably learned their lesson with some of the mistakes they made, like in past drafts. You know, Makai, who I think is like a good kid, but maybe a little immature, and Denzel Mims, and and guys like that that uh, you know maybe need a, need a little more seasoning in the maturity side of things. So I, think, I, I wasn't gonna say it, but I'm glad you <laughs> I can say it. <laughs> uh, so let, all right, let, we can switch gears uh, to looking at this draft now. And finally, talk to you about some guys. Um, uh, so the Jets, I, th- I think it's pretty clear, like what. They need a quarterback. I don't think they'll draft one uh, unless they really, really love the guy. Um, but so it, the, the positions that I think fans in particular are looking at are offensive tackle um, and safety are the top two. I mean, you could always see Joe Douglas drafting like a defensive lineman, stuff like that. But at offensive tackle, I think the offensive line is the biggest thing they need to fix outside of quarterback. So it, I, I looked at like some of the guys that I know Paris Johnson, Peter Skaronsky, yeah. uh, Broderick Jones, I think are like the top guys probably, but. What, what, what do you think about those guys and their ability to come in and like help an offensive line like the Jets need right now? Yeah, it's a really interesting offensive line class. Um, and I think it starts with those two Big Ten guys you mentioned. Peter Skaronsky at Northwestern, Ohio State's Paris Johnson. Um, Johnson is more of your prototypical left tackle. 6'6", 310 pounds, uh, body control, play strength. Um, there's a lot there that you like. Now and what you think he can continue, continue to grow into, Skaronsky – he checks a lot of boxes as well, the foot quickness, the processing, technical refinement, but he also has a guard body, 32 and a quarter inch arms. Uh, that's, you know, a lot of teams, they want at least 33, 33 and a half. Yep. He's got 32 and a quarter. That's going to be an issue for a lot of teams. It, it's uh, His tape says, I'm a left tackle, but the arm length is going to move him to guard for a lot of teams. And the Jets, that'll be interesting if he's on the board. Um, you know, it's what two years ago, that same draft that we were talking about, 2020, Rashawn Slater. Uh, we talked about yeah. his arm length uh, a ton that draft process because it was, I think, 33 on the dot. He fell to the 13th pick, which he was better than that, and ended up having an all pro season as a rookie left tackle for the Chargers. Uh, Skaronsky, I, I doubt him at your own risk, uh, even though he doesn't have the arm length that you ideally want. If he were to be available there at 13, if he, he falls that far, I, to me, that's just a guy. Joe Douglas will love him. I have no yeah. doubt about that. It's just, can you, do you feel good enough about him staying at left tackle or at the tackle position in general um, to draft him there? Um, and then Broderick Jones from Georgia, who some scouts think is the best tackle in this class, at least has the most upside. Um, he His movement skills are outstanding. Uh, still a young player. Um, you know, there's, uh, the times where he loses balance or there are times where his, his hands aren't landing uh, with the placement that you need to see, but it's all coachable stuff, all fixable things. And so Broderick Jones, he'll be right there in that top 15 conversation as well. And so be- because the jets have Elijah Vera Tucker who can play like every position now um, they have the ability to pick the best offensive lineman on the board in theory. So is like at, at guard Os- Osiris, uh, what's his name? Osiris Torrance. Is he Torrance. the top? He's the top guard, right? Yeah, and he's a true guard. Yeah. I mean, he's 345, 350 pounds, uh, power guy. Uh, you know, he he's had a really nice career. He was at uh, Louisiana Lafayette and uh, decided to challenge himself. He, he was going to be a top 50, top 60 guy no matter what. He decided to challenge himself, goes to Florida this for this past year, and he played really well against SEC competition. So uh, there's a very good chance he ends up in that late part of the first round, I, I think top 15, top 20, that'd be early uh, in my yeah. opinion to take him. But um, in a scenario where the jets are moving back or moving up and they're in the late first round, early second round, I Torrance would be a guy to consider. 
Gotcha. And and then at, at safety, are any of these guys uh, good enough to go that higher? Or that, would that be more of a like second round type thing? I think that Brian Branch, uh, the Alabama safety slash nickel, is one of the best players in this draft. Um, there's not – you can't make a list of your top 20 best players in this draft and not include Brian Branch, in my opinion. Um, so I think that he would have should at least be in the conversation there at 13. This is a guy that, you know, the size doesn't necessarily wow you, um, but he's so smart. He plays that star position that uh, Minka Fitzpatrick made uh, yeah. you know, or popularized in Nick Saban's defense. Um, and, you know, it's kind of cliche, you know, you're the, you're the extension of Saban out there and all that. He really is. I mean, he is so smart. You can play him uh, in a nickel as a, a you know man player against the slot. You can play him as a, a post safety. You can do a lot of things with him. And I think that versatility is key. So, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the, the personnel packages, doesn't matter uh, down a distance. You feel good about him out there and he's sticky in coverage. Uh, he leverages uh, very, very well in coverage, but also the run game takes proper angles. Um, and he can play man to man, play zone, uh, very good tackler. Um, so he, he's a guy you don't need to hide a little bit. I mean, he can play in coverage. He can play versus a run. Um, I, I'm a big Brian Branch fan. And so if you're looking for a safety, I, I think that he would be high on the list. Uh, th there's a, some other talented safeties in this group. None that are on Brian Branch's level, in my yeah. opinion. Um, but, you know, it's Antonio Johnson from Texas a and is a really talented player. Um, you know, I think has at least a chance to go first round. I don't know that I would put him in Brian Branch's uh, tier level, in my opinion, based off what I've seen so far. Yeah. Um, all right. And then. So at, at quarterback, like I said, obviously I don't think they would draft one, but like let's say they've they've moved on from Zach Wilson. Uh, th th you know they they want to win right now is the goal. So if like Will Levis or like C.J. Stroud somehow fell to them at thirteen, like what what do you think about the idea of plugging that guy in as a starter? Like do you think that those guys can lead the Jets like as a rookie kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it, this quarterback class is fascinating. And yeah. there, it's there's a lot of teams in front of the Jets that could use a quarterback. And so if one of these guys were to slip all the way to 13, I don't I don't like if you're the Jets, I don't think you're expecting that. But if it did yeah. happen, that does it that's makes things interesting. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Bryce Young fan. I think he's special. He's um, a complete size outlier. Um, in a lot of ways, he's Steph Curry. Uh, it's his favorite player and, um, you know, a size outlier who just doesn't miss. Um, now I, I do worry a little bit about the body type and the fact that he almost welcomes the chaos, uh, cause that's how he thrives is, uh, off script, moving the pocket, that type of thing. But still, I, I'm still Bryce Young to me, the best quarterback in this draft. He, he does not go one with a trade with the bears. I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised. Um, but regardless, he should be off the board pretty quickly. Uh, and then with CJ Stroud, I, you know, I, I had plenty of doubts about Stroud and his ability. I love him as a passer, yeah. questionable as a, as a creator. And this year, or the, the final game against Georgia, we saw him as more of a creator, a guy that, okay, plan A is taken away. Well, here's plan B. Let me move around a little bit. Let me find uh, something off platform. Let me, let me make a play. And he showed that he could do it. And that's definitely a positive thing to take away from his tape. Uh, Will Levis, uh, you know, I there's – you didn't see enough production against good competition in the SEC, but he didn't have a lot of talent around him. Uh, lost his offensive coordinator. There's a lot of, you know, you have to separate the reasons from the excuses with Will Levis. I do think that there are a lot of reasons why he fell short a little bit this year, at least up to expectations. Um, I, when you're looking at the quarterback position, um, you know, you want guys that are tough, 
both mentally and physically. And you want guys that have the traits and you want guys that are smart. He has all that. And so it's a matter of once you get him with your coaches and get a chance to develop him, he will be a lot better than I think what we saw this past year at Kentucky. Now, good enough to be a legitimate fight for the division. Let's make a run for the playoffs quarterback. That's that's the question you have to ask yourself. Yeah. That's where the opinion will be all over the map uh, from team to team in the NFL. But um, I, I will be surprised if those three quarterbacks are – if any of those three quarterbacks are still on the board mm. outside of the top ten picks. Gotcha. All right. Great stuff as always, Dane. Um, when can people expect the beast to hit the, uh, the <laughs> newsstand? Oh man. Um, I, I wish I had like six months, six more months to work on this. Uh, <laughs> it, it, first, the first week in April is the goal, you know, it's, okay. because I want to get all the pro day information in there. And usually pro days go just leak a little bit in April. So that first week in, in April, but you know, we have plenty of stuff coming up here next week. Um, mock draft, my top, 10 or 15 at each position. So, oh, cool. um, cause the, the underclassmen deadline is coming up here in a few days. So we'll have a, a, an exact idea of this draft class of what it looks like. So, and then the senior bowl comments, we've got a lot of things coming up here that will help figure these guys out a little bit more. So it's, it's going to be a fun process. Hi, right, you can read him on the athletic, all the great draft coverage at the athletic, and you can listen to him on the athletic football show feed prospects to pros. That's every Wednesday, so check out that as well. Dane, as always, thanks, man. Anytime. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for this episode of the Can't Wait Podcast, but stay locked into our YouTube channel and follow us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. As the search for an offensive coordinator continues, we will have all the information you need right here. So do that and also join The Athletic. You can do it right now for $1.99 a month for 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. want to thank Dane Brugler for joining us. For Zach Rosenblatt and Marissa Dunn, I'm Tim McMaster. We'll talk to you soon.